to Knowing Nature, a podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. My name's Victor, and this episode we're going to be talking about education indoors and outdoors and what we can learn from teaching in these different settings. When we're teaching about nature and the environment, we face quite a lot of challenges, often because nature happens on very different scales than we're used to dealing with in our everyday lives. We're often dealing with very small things like insects and microbes or very, very large things, large organisms or indeed large habitats. They can take place on very large geographic scales as well. And in our normal everyday lives, we're used to dealing with just our immediate surroundings. So uh, in order to teach about the environment, educators need to confront or embrace these challenges. But how we're able to do this can vary quite a lot based on our normal teaching environment. And the challenges of some topics might lend themselves more easily to teaching in one particular setting over another. Now in environmental education, most often what we contrast is indoor versus outdoor settings. Often what's most highly regarded is hands-on experience is seen as really, really important. Classroom teaching often can feel very limited to uh, a teacher talking or reading from the textbook. Many classroom teachers often value structure for the reassurance it can give to students and its significance in managing behavior in order to maintain a productive learning environment. And for these, outdoor settings can sometimes be really intimidating or avoided because of worries about the lack of structure in these outdoor settings and the increased risk that can bring. Talking with me this episode about these issues are Paul and Maggie, environmental educators. Hello, both. Hello. Let's start by talking about the classroom setting. Paul, what do you think are some benefits to teaching about nature and the environment in a normal classroom setting? I think the main benefits are that you can do all the theoretical stuff in the classroom. It doesn't really work outside um, because you've got access to things like well, I mean, back when I was a teacher, it was, it was actually a roll of blackboard in one classroom, but you got your whiteboards, your interactive whiteboards and that sort of thing. Everyone sat down and they're concentrating and there's, there's kind of less distractions. So it's, it's easier to talk about all the, uh, all the conceptual stuff um, in a classroom setting. It's certainly possible to talk about those things outside, but I think you're right that the, there, there are often fewer distractions in an indoor setting. So dealing with abstract concepts can be a bit easier. Yeah, it's a bit difficult if um, the first time you hear about something like evolution, you're sort of outside and there's bees buzzing around. And for a lot of kids that uh, we teach at the Wetland Centre, because um, we're in London, a lot of them are quite urban kids. It might be their first experience of a nature reserve or an outside space. I think there are just some incredibly uh, concept, uh, complex concepts that kind of need the visual, they need a, a good meaty presentation in a classroom to get your head around it in, in a way that just looking at what's in front of you right now in nature just won't do it. I think that's the, that's the main, the technology, the ability to present something that's actually quite complex and that you just won't see happening right in front of your eyes outside. Mm -hmm. I think the structured environment of teaching indoors is can be quite a benefit as well if you're working with uh, specimens for instance so if you're working with objects that are a bit more fragile working with them indoors is just a much safer environment 
If you're working with more robust things, you can do that outside. It might not matter too much, but if you're working with limited, delicate resources, indoor settings um, it can work a lot better. So in terms of limitations of working in this indoor classroom setting and teaching about the natural environment, I'd say that the, probably the main limitation is the fact that you are often removed from direct experience with a concept. You're usually restricted to looking at pictures, reading things, maybe watching videos. There's also, when you're working indoors, you have to think about mess a lot more. So it's harder to work with messy things like soil or something like that indoors because you have to clean it up. You know, if you spill a pot of soil because you're potting up plants and you're outside, generally you can just leave it there and it's going to be fine. Also, if you're in a classroom, you've just got much less space to move around in. Um, and that can be quite difficult. So if you're working with large objects or something like that, or manipulating lots of things, because classrooms are more restricted spaces, it's more difficult. Any thoughts from you guys, other limitations working in classrooms, trying to teach about the natural environment? I was just going to say, I think what a lot of teachers find difficult is bringing certain things to life. So they'll teach children about parts of plants, but it's all done from pictures and stuff. Whereas when children actually get to see and handle plants hands on, then they find it a lot more easy to understand what they're being taught. And they find it a lot more enjoyable. So what to a teacher seems like quite a boring topic um, can actually be brought to life and made a really exciting topic but you have to kind of go outside to do it yeah i think that definitely makes sense if it's it's it can be a big benefit to be able to manipulate what it is that you're learning about in three dimensions and often if you're learning about again things like plants from an illustration that's a very idealized picture so then when you go and look at the real thing outdoors later on, you might not recognize it because those natural things that they don't always, um, there's variability. So they just look different. They can be slightly different shapes and sizes. Absolutely. And, and, and I think there is a big difference between knowledge and awareness. It's one thing knowing um, the life cycle of a frog, but a completely different thing actually seeing it in action, perhaps returning to a pond at the time and see them developing. I think it makes it more relevant to the children as well. Um, but it's just seeing things happening in nature is very different from reading about it or seeing it on pictures. Yeah, there's definitely an element, particularly when you're working with animals, of um, empathy with it. And I think it's definitely easier to develop a sense of empathy with uh, a living creature that's right in front of you. So let's think about what kind of topics in environmental uh, education are easier to tackle in a classroom setting. Paul, what are your thoughts, topics on that are easier to tackle indoors? Anything that's very heavy on concepts. Um, so things like climate change, evolution. Um, we do a session about plastics pollution, which you know, it's kind of hard to show how terrible plastic pollution is in a nature reserve that people go around and try and keep tidy and people look after. So, um, yeah, any, anything like that that has a very sort of heavy um, theoretical basis, I think, works much better indoors. Um, Maggie, what about you? Are there any thoughts on things that are more easy to tackle in a classroom? Um, like you mentioned, is, is things that happen on a very long time scale. So evolution, uh, climate change. Um, so either 
long time scale are geographically very wide. So again, climate change goes under that as well. But things you can't see in one day, like water cycle, carbon cycle, um, mass extinction, uh, things you could just not notice in a day, those would be very difficult to teach uh, outdoors because simply they, they're not noticeable in the same way. Um, whereas you can really flesh out those concepts in a, in a lesson indoors uh, with a good presentation, loads of images and loads of study examples as well. But I'm still a big believer that, oh, they're introducing these big, tricky sometimes concepts um, are better done in a classroom. I don't see any reason what not to bring them to life outside in a case study in a, in a, in a much smaller scale and maybe in a lot on a local level. That way the big concept comes a little bit closer to you and nearer to you and makes more sense to children if it's on a more local level as well. Um, so I don't see a reason to not then bring it outdoors once it's introduced indoors. I think that's a really good point. When we're doing this education, it doesn't have to be indoors or outdoors. It's, it's not a one or the other. You can tackle a topic starting in the classroom, moving outdoors, or vice versa, start outdoors and then do a more abstract conceptual analysis of it indoors again. And um, that's a good segue into our next portion. Let's talk a bit about uh, teaching outdoors. So Maggie, what, what do you think? What are some of the benefits of teaching, of doing environmental education in an outdoor space? And um, so for me, one of the main aspects of outdoor learning is gaining a deep understanding of ecology, really understanding it, not just on paper, but whilst being there. Gaining knowledge of different species and their behavior, their adaptations. Much, you get much better at IDing plants and animals when you're outdoors doing that if you're doing a picture. You, you mentioned that earlier already. But I think also you cannot gain enough appreciation for the natural world and also the concepts in it if you're not actually outdoors learning about it. And that sort of comes back to caring for nature and respecting it as well. And there's now so many studies to tell us uh, that being outdoors is really good for mental health and for well-being and that reconnecting to nature is a big part of that. But I also think there are other benefits that you don't have in the classroom. Uh, outdoor learning uh, seems to lend itself better to FC and D students. Um, students or find it easier to focus outdoors. Children that find it really difficult to sit still for a long period of time find it easier to focus in outdoor settings as well. Um, it's more hands-on and interactive, so it caters for more learning styles. Uh, but I think mostly it's just seeing nature in action and learning from real life. It makes it a lot more relevant to children and young people as well. I also think that the complexity of the natural world is something that's really difficult to talk about when you're in a classroom but it's much more easy for children to see the complexity when they're out, outdoors. They can see the variation within the species as you can look at you know, multiple different examples and look at differences between them if you're dealing with the actual ones rather than in illustrations. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all about being able to put things in context and make things relevant to, to children, being able to actually see the stuff that they're learning about rather than it just being theoretical or even on a TV program. 
because you can watch Spring Watch, you can watch uh, David Attenborough documentaries and, and all that sort of thing. And it's, it's wonderful, but it doesn't really teach you what nature's like. I mean, possibly Spring Watch is best than that because Spring Watch often has vast, um, vast periods of nothing much really happening on their live broadcasts. Whereas David Attenborough will show you uh, lions hunting in the Serengeti. So everyone assumes that lions are always running around chasing things and they're actually asleep pretty much the whole day every day it gives people a better understanding of the reality of the natural world i think that's a really good point it does give you a more realistic picture of what nature is like absolutely and i think another thing is teachers are constantly looking for the wow moment so you're starting a topic with a wow and i think actually going outside is that wow because it will make the learning a lot more memorable and children are much more likely to remember a trip or going outdoors and learning that than they are learning in the classroom. And I think that's quite an easy, well moment to cater, really, for children. The talk about lines actually leads on to limitations quite nicely. So one of the limitations of working outdoors and teaching outdoors that you've kind of talked about is, like, if you want to teach kids about carnivores and herbivores and you want to do that by having them go and see big carnivores like a lion you're going to see them eating meat they're probably not going to see that because they spend the vast majority of the day sleeping not very much time doing something so that is for me probably one of the biggest most difficult limitations to trying to teach about the natural world outdoors actually with the natural world is that it does not operate on your schedule so the animals aren't necessarily going to do exactly what you want them to do when you want them to do it. Paul do you have any other limitations? One of the biggest problems is is the sort of accessibility of of the outdoors in terms of you know people with access requirements so um, people with visual impairments, people using wheelchairs, uh, all those sorts of things, because the problem with nature is that it it kind of it doesn't really take those things into consideration. There's lots that we can do to make sure that people can access nature, but it it can be quite it can be quite hard. We always have to think very carefully about what what we can provide and how we can make it easier for people. The greatest limitation of nature is kind of nature itself, because you never know what you're going to get, and I think. One of the reasons why many teachers find it, and people in general find it incredibly daunting to, to take groups outside is they feel they lack local knowledge. So you have to have a certain local knowledge about where you can find what and what you can expect more or less uh, that really helps. And then you've got the elements, of course. And if it's too rainy, it can get riskier, slippier where you are. Or if high winds can be dangerous. And you don't want to take the kids out for too long if it's very cold either. So it, it's, nature itself can be um, a, a huge limitation to being with nature. And especially if, if you are doing those one-off lessons. So if you're a class teacher and you've planned a lesson to go out into the yard to look at something and it's pouring down with rain, like that can be a big problem, certainly. But I think that this is a problem of that is mitigated depending on what setting you're in. If you're, your family are, if you guys are going out on a camping trip, you go out and you're prepared for the weather and then you can, you can kind of deal with it. Right, like the, the old saying, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. 
the animals don't care necessarily that it's raining. So if you can go out in that weather condition, you're more likely to see things. So it's, it's a, a limitation and an opportunity. And you just need to be aware, it, again, having that local knowledge, aware of in these conditions, what are the limitations that that's going to impose? And what are the opportunities that it's going to present to you at the same time? So with all these benefits and limitations in mind, what topics do you think lend themselves better to being taught in an outdoor setting versus an indoor setting? Uh, Paul, let's start with you. Anything around ecology. Um, so the topics that I've taught that really, really work outside is anything to do with adaptation, interdependence and in food chains, uh, habitats, because, of course, you, you can actually go out and see all, all the things that you're talking about and children can learn stuff for themselves rather than me just talking at them, which, uh, which is how, you, how you'd be able to do it maybe in a classroom. And it puts everything into context as well, because I can take an animal out of a habitat, but it doesn't teach you as much about how that animal lives in its habitat, where it lives, what else it's interacting with. So being able to see the bigger picture, um, I think, uh, really works, works outside. So if you're a classroom teacher and we're wanting to teach about adaptation, what part of that topic would you want to cover outdoors? Um, I think I'd start by introducing the concepts of an adaptation inside so that children have that in their mind. And then the bit that you, you kind of want to teach outside is, is finding out how different things are adapted uh, to suit their environment. So the actual going out and finding examples, which you could then bring into the classroom to sort of share afterwards to consolidate the learning. Maggie, what about you? Um, so for instance, in key stage one, uh, knowing your local plants, as uh, so children being able to ID some of the local trees and local plants they can find in that area, fantastic opportunity to take them outdoors and actually look at real plants around where they live or close by. So brilliant for outdoors. Don't need to even introduce that in an indoor setting, I believe. This is also key stage one, seasonal changes. Obviously, this requires taking them outdoors over time, um, at least four times through the year. But again, that is just such a great way to compare what's happening outdoors or actually experiencing it and then making comparisons in your notes and photos. Brilliant. Uh, but those in, in secondary school, we look at, I mean, simple things like variation between species and in species. Actually looking at that outdoors, it, I think, is the most effective way of understanding variation. I think certainly any, any of the field study exercises, so if you are doing things like slope, soil conditions, what plant communities are living there, because they depend so heavily on on a specific context, it lends itself to going out into that context. I think any field work like that, you have, you, yeah, well, you can't do it inside, you have to be outside to do it. And I think it's good that um, children get to experience that, that sort of um, field work as well, because often what's missing, particularly in secondary education, is, is the practical aspects to science, which of course is what science is kind of all about if you're going to be a scientist you're going to be doing experiment experiments you're going to be collecting data and all that sort of thing that's definitely something that's come up in um, the welcome trust they recently did a survey uh, of students about what they thought about science education 
And one of the big things that came out of it is that a lot of students really wanted to do the practical stuff. And at the secondary level, a lot of them felt like they weren't able to do that. But even with field studies, I think there are portions of that that lend themselves better to being taught indoors rather than outdoors. So for instance, the, an introduction to the methodology that you're going to use, I think trying to explain that to a whole class of secondary school kids holding lots of this random equipment, if you're telling them for the first time then, like what to do with all the equipment, what measurements to make right there in the setting, that is going to be very difficult. I think you should do a, a first introduction of that kind of stuff in the classroom. And then when you're actually outside ready to do the field work, it's just kind of a reminder. Remember when we talked about this, that's what we're doing today. Off you go. Absolutely, I agree with you, Victor. And and there's a lot of uh, subjects in secondary that are are quite com uh, complex, like the carbon cycle, or succession, or decomposition. And those things would be great to be introduced uh, in a classroom. But then taken outside for the students to really understand the topic deeper. So for carbon cycle, for instance, they could measure amounts of carbon trapped in trees, leaf litter, or soil once they went through the concept and that would be a great way of consolidating that learning and gaining a much deeper understanding and so there's loads of things that loads of concepts like that that I think that secondary schools really really would benefit from taking their students out more um, but of course they have limitations um, secondary schools to to that but it would be a great great thing to do the one thing we haven't really mentioned is kind of teaching environmental issues and I think that lends itself out so nicely to any local field work or field study, like water quality surveys, for instance. Yeah, water quality, air quality surveys as well, if you're talking about air pollution, because it's quite easy to get little um, air quality testing kits nowadays. Like it's relatively inexpensive, it's pretty easy to do. And then you can, rather than learning about this big abstract thing, you can look at well, you can learn about the abstract concepts and then look at what does that look like in your context. And then, you know, the next step is what does this mean for us potentially? Like what are the consequences of, of having whatever the level of air pollution is for the people who are living in that area? I think it really brings, it can bring a topic home. If we go back to field work, I think another, another thing that can trip up people like us who work in environmental education is Often we don't see a class of kids for very long and we try to pack in everything into what amounts to quite a short session, but particularly in a field work type setting. If you are, we've gone out and I think if you're working in that outdoor education setting, it lends itself to the, that data collection portion. We're going to go out, we're going to measure things, we're going to record things, we're going to identify things. But then when it comes to doing any kind of analysis of that data, you're moving back into an abstract realm and it feels to me like that portion lends itself better to being done in an indoor setting. While often as outdoor educators, we kind of want to provide this neatly wrapped process, even though that analysis portion, often there's not quite enough time for it. And also it doesn't quite fit the setting because, you know, it's, it's hard to do any statistical analysis of what percentage of this habitat is covered with whatever kind of vegetation when you're still sat in a field and like maybe it's really windy out and 
like you're trying to do calculations, like that's really challenging. What kind of topics would you do in both an indoors and an outdoor setting? So what kind of con- what concepts would you want to introduce in a classroom and then revisit outdoors? What concepts would you want to introduce outdoors and revisit indoors? So um, one thing I think is really lovely to do first in the classroom as an introduction and then take outdoors for consolidation is classification. Um, we get teaching about classification, getting children to draw up their own classification keys, and then using them, or could be the ones they produced, or perhaps a different one, but actually using it outdoors while looking at animals and their features. That's a really nice one to introduce in the classroom, it's a bit meatier, but then taking outdoors and having a go with real life, real creatures. I think that's a really uh, good one. And it's um, something that we'll move into in the next one is, is going back and thinking about what level of learning you want your kids to get out of a step. So thinking about any of the taxonomies of learning, like Bloom's taxonomy, uh, if you're putting together a classification key in, inside in a classroom, when you then go out into that new context and you're, you're using that classification key, then that's a, a higher order, like a higher level of learning. And then what you've done in the classroom is like that foundation level learning. So it's a good opportunity. You kind of introduce the concepts and then when you go to apply it, moving into that new setting, that outdoor setting, use that to really challenge them and get at those higher orders. So let's, let's move on to uh, specific teaching techniques that you might use in these different concepts. So we've all got some experience as classroom teachers. Are there any classroom teaching techniques that you brought into your outdoor education in order to be more effective? I think uh, definitely lots of classroom management techniques. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's various that, that people use. And there's some that might work in a classroom that don't really work outdoors. So I know there's lots of sort of non... Um, there's a lot of um, sort of silent classroom management. So putting your hands in the air and waiting for everyone to notice. If you're all spread over quite a large area, then um, things like that become much less effective. So um, things like the, the hand clapping rhythm that a lot of teachers use is, is very successful. And um, I do countdowns because I've got quite a loud voice. Um, and I think those sorts of things can really help people with their environmental education practice because it's it's maybe something that environmental educators aren't as confident with um, managing classes, but they're very, very simple techniques that can really make a difference to how, how your session runs and how the, uh, the children actually react to it and um, how much they pay attention. Absolutely. I think that behaviour management is a really big thing we we benefit a lot because you know psychology teaches us that, that rewards are a much better way of in enforcing behavior than um sanctions and basically what we're doing with them is the reward so they want to work with you in, in most cases because you're doing you're doing the fun thing you're giving them the fun experience everybody loves a school trip so um, i think it it, it does make our life a lot easier, but you still need to 
be able to rein in the enthusiasm at times to uh, to make sure it doesn't bubble over into into chaos and, and destruction. I think so. And I think that's a lot of educators and outdoor and environmental educators have that difficulty definitely is they feel, you know, you feel protective of the environment that you work in and having a really rowdy class can be really nerve wracking. And I know a lot of outdoor educators are less confident with really laying down the law when they need to. I mean, I think, I think any best practice behavior management from the classroom will pretty much work outdoors as well, with the exception of, um, sort of silent raising hands because they might not see you. But sort of positive uh, reinforcement of behavior, modeling behavior so they know what to do, uh, praising them all the time, things like that, uh, really works outside as well. Uh, and kids are used to that, so they recognize that. Absolutely. I think a, a good thing to do also is to not be afraid to pause what they're doing to refocus them if you're noticing that a good portion of the class is starting to drift off. Teaching the outdoor space, you know, there's there's a lot of stimulation and there's a lot of exciting things out there. And that's that's the upside of, of working outdoors is there is all of these different things to see and experience. But that can, you know, it can be very distracting. So for me, um, very important outdoors is structure. It's just as important as in the classroom. And that's something children are used to. So making sure you have a clear introduction, you're setting them a challenge, or you, you're revealing an inquiry, um, and they know what, what the main challenge is, they know what they do, and they, they process, proceed to the activity and investigation. And then at the end, you share the findings and or have a whole class feedback. That kind of structure works really well uh, outdoors as well. But I think it's quite important to focus children so they know exactly what they're doing. They are much less likely to behave um, badly if they know what they're doing. Um, so another thing that I think that classroom teachers do is when they're planning a lesson, they've got a very specific learning objective. For that lesson and I think that's something that a lot of outdoor educators can really benefit from is to keep the focus of an activity really specific and really clear it makes it more meaningful as well so yeah so when you're planning an activity really thinking about what is it that you want the kids to get out of that activity what do you want them to learn or what are you giving them the opportunity to demonstrate so for example if doing a lesson and it's going to be about plants, you know, a very common thing to do when you're planning something to have kids learn about plants is like, oh, plants, let's go out and collect some leaves. But you need to think about what are you actually going to do with those leaves, right? Like, what is the point of actually going out and doing that? By collecting leaves, are you actually learning anything about plants? Often, something that I've seen that when people go out, they go out and they collect leaves, because they want to make a picture with the leaves, right? Or you're, we're gonna make a fall collage or something. Like, so you pick a whole bunch of leaves and then you make some kind of a picture with them. Right? The question is, what are they learning by doing that activity? And with that kind of activity, I would argue that probably they're not actually learning that much. So you can still do this activity, but when you approach it from the perspective of of like a classroom teacher thinking really hard about, okay, what do I want the kids to learn by doing this activity? Then what you do with those leaves matters quite a lot. So 
rather than making a collage or a picture, if you give them a more specific focus, again, Maggie, like you mentioned, like giving them some structure to follow. Because um, if you just are making a collage, that's a very kind of unstructured activity. The kids kind of do it and it might be fun, it might be enjoyable, but you can take it to the next level. So if you're making a picture and maybe if you're going out and you're learning about plants, but what you want to teach about the plants is parts of a plant and being able to describe describe the structure of a plant. When you collect those leaves, what you might do is put them on a drawing of the plant that they came from, right? Because then that's kind of a foundational learning, perhaps, where you're thinking about, okay, I collected this, now I need to remember this plant, what did it look like, replicate it on the piece of paper. And that's a bit more beneficial because you're learning about those plants that are in the, learn in the local environment. You're learning to recognize them by recreating them again. But then the next level, if you want to take it one step further, is to think, pay more attention to the arrangement of the leaves. You know, are they arranged opposite each other in, in pairs or fours? Are they arranged alternately? So one on one side, one on the other side as they go up the stem. And then making sure that when you are putting those leaves down on the paper, they actually match up with the actual arrangement. And I would argue that there's higher quality learning going on with that focused activity. I think this is a really interesting conversation because on one hand, uh, I think there is a time and space for uninstructed child-led exploration that that's driven by their own interest and curiosity. I think there is time and space for that in an extracurricular way. But when it comes to curricular learning, what you describing is a lot more effective and much more likely to be booked by teachers as well. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to, to think about as an outdoor educator is what sets apart a session with you as an educator from just free time wandering around in the habitat, right? And something, the collecting leaves to make a collage, it does build that sense of connection with place that is really important for developing really positive attitudes towards the natural environment. They need that free exploration time to have build up that really positive connection with the location that is then going to form a foundation for them going on to caring about the environment. However, they don't need to do that with you as an educator. They can do that on their own, just going out into a space. There are of course issues around, you know, access to green spaces we know is not equally spread for, for all populations, but but for if you've got a limited time, so if you've only got them for a morning or you only have them for an hour, I would argue that it's more valuable to have that more structured focus. It supports more of the learners because ones who are less familiar with the setting, like less familiar with being outdoors or in the forest, if they know what they're doing, it gives them, it can give them a sense of security when they're in that new space. So if they don't have access to the green space, they might not know what to do in it. So if you give them that free unstructured time, they could find it really boring or, uh, you know, they could be really worried about getting dirty and like being afraid of what things might be living there. But if you give them a really structured activity, they can focus on the structure of that and, and using that structure as a way to enjoy the environment. It supports a broader range of kids. 
Thank you very much, Maggie and Paul, for joining us on this uh, long discussion about education in and out of doors. And thank you all for listening. If you're listening in and you've got comments or questions, uh, by all means, send them in to us. Uh, you can email us at knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com. Don't worry about going back and re-listening, taking down notes, because again, all these notes on all the things that we've discussed will be up on our website, which is at knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. And we're also now on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at kn underscore podcast. Uh, thank you all very much for listening, and thank you, Paul and Maggie, for joining me on this episode. Thank you for having it.